Hey everyone, as people start rolling in, um, I just want to say essentially what we're doing here. I had a wonderful interview last week with Carl. I'm talking about the launch of DeFi Arm, and I just wanted to follow up with Carl and Alex, ask a few more questions about the Celsius network, maybe get some questions about um, anything about the future blockchain tokens, DeFi, a little bit of NFT. We'll cover a little bit of everything. Um, I'll go on the way. If people have questions, they can raise their hand. I'll come up and bring them up as speakers if they want to go ahead and ask anything. So my name is Joe DeWitt. I'm an analyst over at Benzinga. And with me speaking, I have Alex Mashinsky, who is CEO over at Celsius. And I have Carl Hua, who is GM at the Celsius X DeFi arm. How are we doing, guys? Great, great. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. So... um. Essentially, I think it would be best to just, if you want to give Carl a quick uh, little overview on the difference between Celsius X from its parent Celsius. At a high level, um, Celsius Network is a digital asset lending platform, right? It performs various functions, including lending, borrowing, as well as essentially it's a yield uh, platform, right? And it does that through a centralized uh, fashion in the sense people would deposit or send crypto uh, to the to the platform and all the operations are done through the back end. Whereas Celsius X really is a DeFi arm of Celsius. What Celsius, Celsius X does is that we build DeFi smart contracts and, and we build DeFi infrastructure to allow people to um, essentially move their crypto more easily, right? One such example is that Today, when you deposit Bitcoin, Cardano, or even Dogecoin, you're kind of stuck with their native chain, right? You only perform deposit and withdraw back and from and the back, uh, back from and back native chain, right? With Celsius X, what we're doing is we're creating a liquidity bridge through the centralized backend. You're able to deposit and withdraw back to the to the native chain, and as well as to the first partner that we have. The blockchain is Polygon. So then the users of these coins are able to um, withdraw these tokens onto Polygon and participate in DeFi. Alex, do you have anything to add? Yeah, we um, <clears throat> we um, build a bridge. Uh, if you think of Celsius Network, we build a bridge between... Uh, just mute yourself because you, whoever is typing. Thanks. And... We build a bridge between uh, TradFi or traditional finance and CFI. That's that was the main uh, purpose for Celsius and allowed uh, over a million and a half uh, users to basically, without knowing much about crypto, or private keys, or anything like that, to come and earn yield, which didn't exist uh, before Celsius on the blockchain, and uh, take a loan, uh, do swaps without any fees or any. Um, spreads and and uh, now we're adding a bridge towards uh, DeFi, right? So basically we're building a bridge between CFI and DeFi uh, where we allow all of these assets, all the different assets that exist to basically pull together. So if you think today um, there's over 200 blockchains and each one of them is its own pool of liquidity, right? So mm-hmm. the, the liquidity on Solana has nothing to do with the liquidity on Ethereum or, or 
any activity on Polygon or anything like that, right? And effectively, each one of these blockchains competes with each other, meaning they're they're all trying to steal customers and business models and and ideas from each other. Where the real competition is between TradFi and DeFi, not so much between this version of DeFi or that version of DeFi. Yeah. So. So uh, unlike everybody else, Celsius is not trying to launch yet another blockchain. Like if you look at crypto.com, they have their own blockchain. Uh, Binance has their own blockchain. Everybody has their own blockchain, right? And the last thing we need is another version of fork of Bitcoin or Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we need is to flood all of these little pools with enough liquidity. So we have one ocean of liquidity that still provides these really... Uh, amazing primitives like a liquid, like uh, loans, like yield, like uh, swaps, and allows us to basically replace the banks with a, uh, something that acts in our best interest, right? That's really the dream, Satoshi's dream. So if we're all here to carry his flag and deliver the vision, uh, then why are we fighting with each other instead of doing everything we can to bring Again, several billion people from TradFi. Unbank them, right? Unbank all these people and bring them from TradFi into CFI DeFi. Yep, really well put. I like how you said that about getting people away from traditional finance, giving them other opportunities, especially um, with this bridging platform. So you talk about not necessarily wanting to build a blockchain and make a really good point on how that's not necessarily the problem because we have so many blockchains out right now. Um, But more building a bridge between all of them. So is the goal to have cross-chain liquidity through essentially all blockchains? Yeah, so so Celsius X is uh, basically uh, creating a, a, a native uh, wrapping service. And then I want to explain the difference between native and uh, smart contract based uh, bilateral uh, bridges that exist today, right? So uh, all the hacks you've seen uh, had to do with the fact that you can basically intercept or or uh, uh, get in uh, to the code that that tries to bridge two blockchains, right? It's like a, it's like a, a, a you know a a, a, <laughs> a wire bridge, mm-hmm. right? Uh, between let's say Ethereum and Polygon, right? And and uh, it's like a person trying to hold the two moving uh, escalators. One is moving up and one is moving down, right? And uh, obviously, sooner or later, you're going to tear because you can't hold on to uh, two things that are moving in different speeds and different directions. And that's really how today uh, most of the bridges are built, right? They're built in a way that uh, it looks like it's working, but the second it stops working, all of the minted or wrapped assets that exist on that bridge are at risk. And mm-hmm. we've, we've seen that on Solana, we've seen it on Polygon, we've seen it hacks or scams or, or, or problems. And, and, you know, Vitalik and many, many other people have come out in the last six months have basically said, look, it doesn't look like we can really deliver um, interoperability or cross-chain capabilities if we continue to do it in a fully decentralized way. We must use some CFI or some centralized finance functions like native issuance uh, to make sure that we uh, do it in a secure and scalable way. 
right? So what Celsius is doing is, is has been tested before. It's not like we invented a whole new category. So if you look at RAP Bitcoin, RAP BTC, WBTC, which is the token representing actual Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network issued by BitGo, what's out, and that is a native token. It, it's, it's a token that is uh, issued natively on the Ethereum network by BitGo each time somebody deposits a full Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network with Bitco, right? So Celsius is doing a similar thing. It's just we don't charge any fees. We allow you instantly to withdraw any of these assets backwards and forward. You can either create or destroy them. And we have a third-party verification. We we teamed up with Polygon and Chainlink, and Chainlink effectively does proof of reserves, meaning it verifies that what you think is true uh, is actually there and it continuously monitors that to make sure that we don't double spend or do something that is not in the best interest of the community. And I think that's the future of all of this multi-chain capability. And again, credit goes to Carl and his team for delivering on this so quickly and, and launching the first four assets across uh, Dogecoin, uh, Polygon, Ethereum, and we'll be adding other chains soon. Yeah, super interesting, Alex. Um, just wanted to add add a little bit of uh, color here. Is why why Celsius is building this right? There are some very uh, uh, interesting projects out there that are building decentralized bridges. Um, and conceptually, a bridge is very simple, right? You just go from one end to the other, and you're done. But in reality. Um, and not enough people are talking about this, is that building a bridge is even more difficult than building a blockchain, right? And, and that sounds kind of uh, weird, right? If, if, if you think about this, why, why is building a, a decentralized bridge so difficult? Well, if you actually look at this from a technical perspective, what a decentralized bridge is, is essentially two parts. One, you need to verify the history of another blockchain. Right? For example, you, if you want to go from Ethereum to Solana and you want to perform a brid, bridging service, essentially on the Solana end, you need to be able to verify that something has happened on Ethereum. And not only that, once you verify that, before you even verify that, you need to be able to provide history, right? Now, on the Ethereum side, the same thing needs to happen in the sense that first, you need to be able to provide the history of Solana and then you verify. Seemingly very simple interactions is actually extremely difficult because one of the biggest problems is providing history in a reliable way. Right? If you look at Bitcoin, it, it's okay to fork. And who is it to say which 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 uh, which which chain is the correct one, right? So uh, it, it you know, once you go into the nitty-gritty details, it's actually extremely complex because there's so many conditions that can just go wrong. And what we call these conditions are as actually Byzantine fall, right? And um, these days, the decentralized bridges are just not mature enough um, at a state where institutions will be able to adopt these. So, uh, though, I do believe in the distant future, in DeFi terms, distant future means maybe a couple of years down the road or maybe even two or three years down the road, we will have a pretty mature decentralized uh, bridging infrastructure. But before we're able to get there, 
we really should start from a centralized bridging service, right? And that's why uh, Celsius X exists. And you talk about wanting to go over to that decentralized service or go fully decentralized. But at the same time, I know you guys um, through Celsius talk a lot about the importance of having centralized entities coexist with decentralized entities. But so the DeFi arm will eventually become fully decentralized. Am I right? Um, as of today, the DeFi arm is actually contributing to the to the centralized uh, side of things, right? Uh, I, I more or less look at this as a spectrum. On the right-hand side, you have completely decentralized services, which Celsius X will eventually develop. And on the left-hand side, you have centralized bridging services. Um, they will coexist because certain uh, communities just will never want to use the centralized version and that's mm -hmm. totally okay right because it requires you to go through kyc and it's a lot of trouble and in some you know some of the community just don't want to go through kyc which is completely understandable yeah though for any institutions um my my anticipation my bet is that these ins institutions will, will will prefer the centralized entity right because one of the things that we can really do is for centralized bridging um, you know, one of the things we can potentially do is provide some sort of guarantee or insurance to make sure that the funds are safe. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. And you make a really good point about just generally bridging the gap for uh, institutional investors as well as everyday investors being able to wrap their tokens and unwrap their tokens on any given blockchain. Um, it seems like it has very useful cases and a very good project. Um, I kind of want to move over to the token and ask you guys some questions about the Celsius native token and kind of just how that works. Um, I know as most users are familiar, you can earn yield with it, collect interest and lend. But I kind of wanted to get into how the lending works with Cell and how um, if that's more of like you could pull collateral against your Celsius based on the reflective how much you have or kind of how that works with the token. Sure. So let's let's talk about the kind of the, the basic service that Celsius Network offers, and then we'll talk about how that extends into uh, the DeFi world, right? So, awesome. um, so Celsius is not uh, a place where you um, get leverage, right? I mean, if you if you want to do ten to one leverage or twenty to one leverage, there's there's plenty of exchanges that are uh, ready to take all your money and, and hope that you're going to uh, blow up because they make a profit when they liquidate you, they make a profit when they trade against you. And, you know, they, they are the other side of the trade, right? And it's important that people understand that uh, Celsius doesn't do anything like that. We don't, we, our commitment is to do good and do well, meaning we always act in the best interest of our community. We never take the other side of the trade. We don't try to liquidate you uh, and make um, uh, huge profits from it. And uh, it's most people don't understand that the way a lot of these platforms can afford to put their name on a stadium or uh, or spend billions of dollars in marketing is because they're making a, a ridiculous amount of profit from all these people who are uh, placing uh, uh, leverage bets, uh, long or short, against these assets, right? You have to understand who's on the other side of the trade, and most people don't understand that. So 
all sales is trying to do is basically help you uh, basically achieve financial freedom or, or get to the finish line uh, where you uh, basically did not uh, uh, blow yourself up or lose all of your money, uh, but still allow you to pay your bills, allow you to uh, uh, basically manage your finances uh, in a, a, re- a reasonable way and in a way that, uh, again, acts in your best interest. So. To do that, we are very, I would say, limited services, intentionally limited services uh, that try to keep you in effectively good financial shape. So uh, just like, uh, you know, you go to your doctor and they tell you, hey, you need to exercise and you need to change your diet. Uh, Celsius basically saying the same thing, right? You got to huddle, you got to rebalance your portfolio. And once in a while, you should take a loan against your assets and and pay down your credit cards, high interest rate credit cards, or uh, you know, if you bought a car and you're paying whatever, 18%, that makes no sense. Take a 1% loan from Celsius against your asset, pay off that car, right? So those are the kind of basic lending services that uh, Celsius provides. So the, what, what Celsius X does is it now extends uh, the capability uh, to do it on the DeFi uh, side. So you can now uh, basically transport your asset, your Bitcoin, your Ethereum to a different chain and participate in yield creation. So these are all the functions that normally Celsius does for you. And you can always decide, you know what, I don't want to, it's too too difficult, it's too complicated. Uh, I don't understand uh, if it's safe or how to do it. And Frankly, you don't need to, right? You you can uh, you can just get paid every Monday through Celsius through the blended yield that we provide from all the sources. But if you want to venture into DeFi, we allow you. We we just opened this bridge just a few days ago uh, that allows you to take a few assets and venture into uh, a DeFi platform like uh, QuickSwap and others to basically do some farming, uh, do some uh, lending and basically participate in this new brave world, uh, but still in a, I would say, in a walled garden environment where you know that, okay, all the, partici- all the players, all the chains, all the services are effectively managed and, and uh, uh, controlled uh, through Celsius and its partners. And that's really the, the, the crux of it, is that, that, that most people, I would say 90% of, pe- of the people that currently are with Celsius are probably not going to use the service, but many existing DeFi users are going to look at this and say, wow, uh, these bridges are much safer. They're much more scalable. You know, Celsius standing behind it with $20 billion of liquidity. Yep. I'm, I'm definitely leveraging this to, to basically, because I got burned in a bunch of other places. I thought they were safe, but they're not. Yep. Let me see how I deploy these assets through this Celsius X infrastructure. So more of a, just a decentralized um, way of going about the Celsius network, but just in a, for those individuals that would prefer to go DeFi, essentially, in a simple yep. sense. Yes. Nice. Um, and you made some really good points about institutional, um, just companies and lending services, kind of backhanding investors and liquidating and just the services that they provide. Um, I kind of wanted to bring up like just a general question of what you think about the problem of financial literacy 
um, with our day and age and just kids now growing up in this world, and especially with this big spark of DeFi crypto over this last year, especially people kind of don't know where to turn or where to get their information. And there's kind of this big gray area of financial literacy that people are kind of lost in. So I kind of wanted to um, see if you had any input on what those problems may be. Yeah, so so first, I'll just give you some stats uh, that probably going to shock some people. But um, <clears throat> the community is growing exceptionally fast. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we are losing tens of millions of, of, of users. So I, I think the latest stats is something like 35 million wallets have zero balance in them. These are wallets that held either Bitcoin or Ethereum. And those users basically left, right? They went back to fiat land. They came to crypto land. They, they thought they're going to get rich and famous and uh, whatever. They mistimed the market. They didn't hodl. They didn't average in and they just sold everything and left, right? Yeah. So no, no activity on those wallets, right? So, so effectively, we're recycling a lot of people, even though the overall community is still growing. The number of users is growing. We are uh, basically, we are uh, allowing a lot of uh, people to FOMO in just at the wrong time uh, when the markets go to their uh, peaks. And then uh, like right now, I think it's uh, 60% of coin holders are, are actually at a loss, right? The second, right? So the more than half, which is a very bad situation, right? Again, because we continue to bleed people who just give up and sell all their coins and leave. Um, at the same time, uh, our average age, like when we, when we looked at uh, what percentage of the Celsius community was uh, ages 18 to 34, it used to be, I think 24.7%, now it's over 50%. So the average age is getting much, much younger. And a lot of it has to do with this, uh, again, DeFi slash NFT slash gaming phenomena. I think Dogecoin and Shiba Inu and all that stuff brought in a lot of young people. Again, so it's a good thing, but the question is how do we keep them? How do we get these people uh, to stick around and stay with us and learn about all the different things and stay safe, not uh, uh, lose all their money and say bad things about uh, this new developing ecosystem. Yep. So essentially the retention rate on how we hold um, people in the DeFi community. Yes. Also, not only the retention rate, right? You, it, when we look at this holistically, um, we have retention um, in, and also adoption, right? And one interesting point there is that even for myself um, back in 2010, it was a very difficult uh, concept to grasp in the sense that why, why does Bitcoin have value, right? Because if you, if you look at it from a, from a very high level, well, there's value in dollars because there's the U.S. government behind it. What about Bitcoin? But then, um, as Bitcoin as Bitcoin becomes more adopted, it's it at this point. I don't think anyone would argue. Well, most of the people would argue that there is value with Bitcoin, right? Now, if you go back and you look at the 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 population, um, the younger generation doesn't really have this problem, right? Because they actually are brought into this ecosystem before they even have a bank account. Um, you know, I went to a birthday party um, a couple of weeks ago, 
And, and instead of asking for presents, um, some of the kids were asking to send them uh, Ethereum, right? Because, you know, they're 12 years old, I believe 12 to 13, they have no bank accounts, but they're already exposed to the entire crypto ecosystem. And, and I have no doubt in, in 10 years or so, even, even shorter than that, um, we'll see massive adoption uh, uh, of cryptocurrency, right? Because if they don't have that mental um, block or mental hurdle of why Ethereum has value or why Bitcoin has value, that would be no brainer for them to uh, start putting perhaps their 401k into these these offerings. And I think that's very, very important because um, the, the, the massive adoption has yet to, to occur. It's happening now, but I do, I, I do foresee a, a massive uptick of, of adoption in the next decade or so. Yeah, you make a good point with the adoption rather than just looking at it from a retention rate, actually like how many people are staying and being active in the community. Um, Alex also mentioned something about just when we were talking about um, the wallet addresses and how many million wallet addresses are actually on active and just the recent popularity with NFTs and this whole gaming phenomenon. I think that really um, goes with kind of what you were saying, Carl, with like the birthday party and the younger generation. Um, they're kind of more open to this idea of you know, moving away from traditional finance because they don't even have a bank account yet. You know, they were adapted to this um, sort of, uh, you know, a way they were they weren't necessarily adapted to traditional finance. So it's a lot easier for them to adapt to DeFi. Um, now I kind of wanted to get into because it was the perfect transition into uh, NFTs and what's happening now with uh, play to earn gaming and how that is kind of changing the DeFi space. Yeah, so I I see uh, NFTs, gaming, um, even DeFi is still uh, kind of early stage experiments, and we have huge amount of experimentation right going on. So, um, and unfortunately, again, I would say probably more than half of what's going on are are scams. And, and I just saw that one of the stats that. Uh, more than half of the people, I think it was this was Coin Telegraph that uh, did the stat that more more than half of the people who put money on DeFi for farming actually lost money because they didn't understand impermanent loss, they didn't understand fees, they didn't understand uh, uh, what's involved, right? So they they ended up having less coins than more coins after doing all their farming or or DeFi activities, right? Hopping around and and trying to earn yield. And again, a lot of these um, activities are uh, creating a yield through inflation, meaning the chain has a, whatever, 18% inflation and they're paying you 16% yield and you think you're getting rich because you think you're making 16%, but there's 18% more coins being added every year. So yep. net net, you are actually losing money. Only the people who cash out first um, uh, basically make anything, right? So. So again, a lot of people don't understand that. They think it's free money from from thin air. And as we know, uh, there's nothing like that. Uh, Celsius does not create any of its yield through inflation. Our, to our token is deflationary, meaning we actually burn token every week. And um, we actually charge institutions, exchanges, DeFi fees and convert that into Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on, or sell tokens. So... So people, again, have to do their homework and understand uh, what's what. So the same thing with uh, uh, playing 
games and getting paid for it that only works as long as the community is growing yeah because it's based on inflation and uh, when you run out of people in the Philippines or people in uh, all the countries in the world obviously all those tokens are not going to be worth what they're worth today so so we're still experimenting with business models and uh, I think uh, there's definitely going to be several large winners like we had the, from the internet we had only like five or six giant companies you know Google and Uh, Apple and uh, you know Amazon and so on same thing from uh, web 3.0 or web 2 we had uh, Facebook we had uh, a few other companies right web 3.0 we're gonna have uh, less than 10 winners right out of tens of thousands of companies and I think anyone that is expecting more than that doesn't understand how these cycles work and uh, I'm old enough to have lived through several of them and the result is always the same right but the Here we're, we're fighting for all the money in the world. So the winners in this cycle, right? The winners in Web3 are going to be bigger than Facebook or Apple or Google. Yeah. Also, also, um, also if, you, if you look at this, right? Um, I, I generally don't think that the general population has realized how big Metaverse is going to become, right? We're talking about one of the biggest tech companies changing its name from Facebook to meta and, and to me that's a huge signal of where things are uh, headed right and and I personally uh, am a uh, empty believer and you really can't you, you cannot have metaverse without nfts right so those those things are very coupled except what is the timing right sometimes this is a little too early. and sometimes it's a little too late um, and it's really up to the community to decide when's the right time to get into these um, um, uh, ecosystems because um, if it's too early then you know just like back in 2017 there was a huge ICO boom and I would argue 90 probably more than 95% of projects are gone you know I've lost 95% of my entire portfolio just because you Um, uh, it was a little too early right? and obviously later on uh, some of the most uh, solid projects projects are created after the crash right so um, I, I do think MT is going to be very very um, uh, integrated into the ecosystem it's just a matter of timing at this point yep yeah I, I mean I definitely agree with that I think you guys both made some really good points and And uh, Carl, you're talking about the inevitability of the metaverse. I mean, I'm with you, dude. When they changed, Facebook changed over to meta. I mean, that was the biggest, you know, just slap in the face. Like, okay, it's here, it's coming. This is the time. Um, I think you made a good point too. Like a lot of people don't really think about that sort of, you know, few year time span that developers are going to be building right now as we look to move into, you know, different um, decentralized companies and different blockchains are starting to build more. I think that more people aren't necessarily going to give a second look at it until you know a few years down the road and we're in another cycle and now it's you know culturally relevant so <laughs> yeah totally I mean I don't mean to derail this fire chat but like a one very interesting uh, prediction that I have is today right back in the 90s early 2000 um, people people go clubbing and they, they drive their nice cars to the club they buy the bottles inside the club right? 
uh, I foresee in the future <laughs> that people will go clubbing in the metaverse and, and they will drive their nice cars, Lamborghinis and Ferraris, representing their real physical assets in the, in the form of an NFT, right? How that will work is you're not going to be able to drive these cars in the metaverse unless you own them in the real world. And, and that, I, I know this sounds extremely weird. When I, was, when, I, when I was having this discussion with my wife, you know, she was, she was saying, Carl, you're insane. But, but, but I think that, that, that's, what, that's, that's going to happen no matter what, right? If, we, if the entire um, um, meta is, is really transitioning into a virtual world, I, I, don't, I, I just think that's inevitable, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm probably the oldest guy on this call, but uh, I agree with Carl. And the reason for that is that, you know, I have six kids at home and I'm looking at them and their digital identity, the digital presence is more important than their physical presence. Like they get happy or upset, not based on what's happening in the real world, but based on how many of their friends uh, liked any of their posts or appeared in any of their hangouts or, uh, you know, participated in any of the virtual stuff that they're doing. And their digital presence is, uh, again, much more important to them than, than their physical appearance or anything like that, you know. So um, so I think that is just going to get worse and worse and worse, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's just crazy how weird um, these kids are. They, when they meet in person, they don't know what to say or how to interact. They just send messages to each other, right? Because yeah. they used to interact through the devices and not through actually talking to someone or hanging out or doing all the things we used to do when we were kids. Yeah, it's already happening, right, Alex? I mean, um, I know I know some of the NFT companies, um, what they do is they actually custody your goods, right? So how this works is you send them your physical goods. One example is you know, a $100,000 watch. You send it over to them, they custody it, they authenticate it, and then they issue they issue an NFT and you're able to trade it. And whoever has that NFT has the right to redeem for the underlying asset. Uh, if you think about this, what, what is stopping them from importing these into just metaverse, right? So when you meet someone in the metaverse and if you see this guy or this girl is wearing a $100,000 watch, uh, it actually represents that this person actually owns the real asset in the real world. And there is a huge... Um, there's a huge economy that could be built on top of that, right? You can go to a virtual bank to do uh, real banking and so forth, right? So, so it's super interesting and, and it's, it's, it's very, very new, right? And we, like, we as a group have never experienced that and it's inevitable. Yeah, I agree. You make a really good point with like the proof of ownership. Like we've never experienced a type of um, you know, system or this, the type of security that blockchain provides to actually, you know, display that proof of ownership and not only proof of ownership, but proof of transaction. So, you know, like I buy the watch from you, how do I know where you got the watch from? You know, now it is on blockchain and it's verifiable. And Alex, what you were saying about, you know, you have kids and they are, you know, very, very invested into their digital identity as most kids are nowadays. And, you know, I'm only 23 and I, you know, I still value my, my digital identity, but it's very, it's very different with kids nowadays. And it's almost like they, you know, they put it above all else. So it sounds like you understand the value, obviously, of um, this type of, you know, this type of tech. Does Celsius have any plans on 
on kind of moving into the NFT space, whether it be trading platform or like an NFT rewards treasury or anything of the sort? Yeah, we, <clears throat> we're going to be announcing something in the next uh, few weeks. So can't talk about it yet, but it's definitely a, I'll enter into the space. And uh, like you said, I think a lot of people <clears throat> look, look, look at this uh, call, right? We have about 100 uh, or 200 people here. Uh, almost everybody has some kind of a profile that is not their physical picture, not their actual picture, you know. And many of these are NFTs. And these are the identities that people have uh, chosen for themselves, right? So, and some of these are very expensive, right? Punks or, or apes or whatever. Um, and, and that is your persona, right? This is your presentation to the world. Like, so, so even if that's now worth $100,000, you're not going to necessarily sell it because uh, it represents you and who you are. So I think one of the reasons, um, you know, in the last crash, that many NFTs did not go down 50% like the market did was because people just would not uh, uh, walk away from these identities. And that tells you that is a very important indication of, of, of the validity or viability of, of this uh, segment. Oh, yeah. yeah. A really good point. <laughs> yeah, totally, Alex. You know, I don't have a Twitter profile, but um, that's because, you know, I'm just not ready to um to choose my my identity right but um tons of my friends even even the vc side of things when they choose a profile picture that's nft it's extremely personal to them right because you are known by this identity and if you spend time like for example years building out this persona you're not going to sell that for money because it's almost like you're selling your soul to to a market right and very few people will want to do that because they are emotionally um, uh, vested with this persona. And, and, and the, the point there is it shows when, when the market has a correction, you don't see the NFTs uh, drop as much because people are not selling them. So um, it, it's super interesting uh, uh, to me, right? Because who would have known that um, some, some really, really um, um, simple JPEG could have such effect on the entire uh, cryptocurrency market. Seriously, that's that's like the part that we didn't foresee is that the the personal attachment that people you know have been bringing to these NFTs, where it's like a part of them. Yeah, and um, also just to add on to Alex' um, 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 thoughts, there is that uh, when it comes to Celsius, we generally. Um, want to make sure everything is um, is proper because we have our community's interest in mind, right? We're not here to just uh, profit from from these things. It has to make sense for our community first, and then secondary is that we're able to make a profit from that. So as far as NFT is concerned, we're actively looking into this. Um, and uh, like Alex mentioned, we'll, we'll have something to announce uh, very soon. Ooh, that's very exciting. I guess kind of the final question I have really 
um, more just generally open. Kind of going back to what Alex was talking about when we were talking about the popularity of NFTs and kind of gaming. And he was mentioning how unsustainable they are, bringing up a really good point and how people don't really understand where the rewards are coming from, from or how the burning mechanisms actually work with these games or um, that the supply is increasing really when the token is actually going up, therefore the inflation. Um, I kind of wanted to ask, like, how do you guys think that this culture of NFT gaming is going to impact the standard like work culture? Because I start to see more and more that individuals are kind of, you know, hoping to move away from that nine to five workday. And honestly, just people don't even want to work anymore. So uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, my <clears throat> I have uh, six kids, right? The three of them are over 20 and three of them are younger than 20. So the people, the ones that are over 20 still want to be Kardashians and be famous on social media and whatever. Uh, and the younger ones, uh, all they care about is gaming and uh, they either want to create the games or they want to be the champion of the games or they want to be um, controlling the, you know, the best swords or the best uh, uh, cameos or whatever, right? So, so it's just funny to see how it's um, none of them wants to be a scientist or a, or a doctor or an accountant or anything like that, right? They all still think that the world uh, uh, there's nothing else in the world. So, so I think we the you know the society in the, in I would say in the West in general is kind of migrating more and more towards. Um, this virtualized existence and virtualized jobs that are um, not nine to five and definitely not five days a week. It's kind of like uh, always on. And like I, I'll, I'll catch my 10 year old playing uh, multi games at uh, 1 a.m. because, uh, you know, I thought I took away all these devices and then I forgot about an extra iPad it has on, on a phone or whatever, right? And, and, uh, uh, again, this is not healthy behavior, right? So I think as a society, we're going to need to come to a, some kind of a, a, a resolution as to uh, what the future looks like and, and how we're going to get our kids and, and the next generation to, uh, to have a reasonable existence rather than relying on... And they all basically find... They scam me every day in, in charging my credit cards and finding yeah. ways to get those points <laughs> you know like they'll they'll do everything possible including like selling stuff we have at 10 cents on the dollar just so they can get the venmo credit and push it to, to one of their games right so it's so uh, the obsession of that of that holding on to that position in the in this whatever in a robot game or some some other game just uh, is more important than school or than anything else. So, so I think we got to the point where it's definitely not healthy. And I think uh, you have companies like Apple and others who are trying to help you restrict that behavior. Uh, but other companies are just uh, abusing this. So if you look at Roblox or, or uh, uh, Minecraft or whatever, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think they are definitely cross the line as to what they will allow uh, these players to do. And uh, just so they could deliver their numbers, right? They'll do, they know psychologically how to get you as a 10 year old or 12 year old to, to do whatever it takes to, to give them their quarterly earnings. Right. Yeah. 
and, and that's really the problem we're having is that no one cares about this generation. Everybody just cares about making money out of it. Yeah, I mean, Alex, um, you know, I think as, as we're definitely going through a, a cultural shift, right? Um, I, I remember back, back 10 years ago, um, 9 to 5 was standard, five days a week, sometimes six days a week, depending, and sometimes it's seven days a week, depending on your schedule. And so, almost as today, um, um, people are shifting away from that mentality. And I think largely because the society as a whole is becoming more um, efficient, right? We have a lot more tools than before. Um, AI is helping us do many, many new things, right? So, so I do think there's going to be a shift, though um, at the end of the day, there's still demand for various functions, accountants, lawyers, uh, software engineers, architects, right? So there are still going to be people working, but I do foresee in the near future or in distant future, there'll be less and less people needed to do the same amount of work. And as long as there's a demand for these work, then people will still need to uh, uh, complete these, these, these demands. Though um, uh, a large portion of the population might shift towards something else, right? maybe it's the virtual world, um, generally, if you look at the way TikTok has been trending, it's it's a it's a decentralization. If you, if you look at this, because before um, um, the the web two websites are making most of the money, right? YouTube YouTube really was the first one to kind of start decentralizing how how people can make money, and and, and I do foresee this trend um, to go a lot further, right? There's all sorts of ways to generate income, um, but there's a limit because. Uh, there is a core services, what I call the core services is just the things that we, we have to do as a society. These things absolutely need to be filled. And then you'll start, you, you're going to see, uh, because today you see a lot more influencers influencers than before, right? Why, why is that? Because perhaps we our demand is not as high as before. The tools that we have are much more efficient. So, so yeah, you know, I definitely agree there's a shift. And then at this stage, it's too early to tell where this is going to go. For example, Elon Musk is making a ten thousand dollar robot to to help his. Um, it's a humanoid robot, right? To help him assemble vehicles in the factory, and and it's only two thousand twenty two. What what is that robot going to do ten years from now? Right, those are the things we really need to think about, and that's yeah, it's wow. super interesting. Right? So, wow, yeah, I mean, all very good points, and just you know, definitely something to think about. Very very realistic future that we have ahead of us. And Alex made a really interesting point. He said, uh, we need to find a reasonable existence. And I really like that, you know, kind of a middle ground on how we as a society want to, you know, live our lives, essentially. And are we gonna reasonably exist? Or will we not? That's kind of, it's kind of the question I think we all have moving forward. Um, I want to go ahead here and start to wrap this up. But I will open the floor to anyone who has some questions if they want to ask anything to the Celsius team or uh, just a quick something on what we were just talking about. Add some guys here. Z, how are we doing? I'm good. Thank you, everyone. Hi, Alex. Hi, everybody. Uh, fascinating topic. Everybody's talking, and I really also agree. I, I think this um, the whole metaverse and uh, gaming, and including NFTs, has created a, a new paradigm that I call it. And it's uh, obviously, I think it's kind of taking people away from the 
the the normal existence <laughs> and uh like the old saying goes like you know like why work hard if you can work you know <clears throat> excuse me don't work hard i guess work smart and so a lot of youngsters are realizing that you know that they can earn uh, uh money uh online a lot faster and easier and at the comfort of their own home so that's more appealing to them. I think that could be one of the major reasons. But anyway, I don't want to deviate from, from my main question is, uh, uh, Alex, congratulations on the Celsius X launch. Uh, it's, uh, that is a wonderful concept uh, emerging or uh, the central finance or CFI and DeFi. My question is that uh, in order for us as a Celsius uh, holders, if we wanted to, um, do we actually physically need to transfer or our coins over to QuickSwap uh, over to Polygons in order to participate in the, uh, I guess would be that farming or liquidity pool providers? I don't, I'm a little bit confused about that and I don't know how it works. Somebody could explain, please. Yeah, so I'm going to let Carl explain how it actually works, but uh, we, we did go through a lot of the... Uh, where you can find information about this on uh, our last AMA. So if you go on YouTube and just do a search for Celsius Network, okay. look at the look at the last AMA from yesterday, and there's at least almost an hour worth of uh, information and and links that uh, show you how and what you can do. Uh, but I'll let Carl uh, get into the details. Yeah. So at a high level, yeah, you do need to transfer the coins yourself. It is not a um, um, it is not a one-click uh, operation, right? So this, this this product today is largely targeted towards uh, CFI users who want to get into DeFi and have a basic understanding of how these things work. Though, so, uh, if you just go to our website at um, CelsiusX.io, there are tons of tutorials, step-by-step -step tutorials of how you can provide liquidity uh, to the quick swap pools. And I highly encourage you to uh, go there and, and take a read, right? Because um, uh, you're able, you're actually able to generate quite nice rewards with with the pools, and and uh, it's a net new uh, avenue of how you can play with these coins. So, okay, great. Thanks for uh, letting me know. I didn't know that to be honest. I just jumped in, so that's a good one. I will go. And also, Carl, I think it was you mentioned earlier uh, uh, to go back uh, regarding saying a lot of people don't even have a bank account so that they can. But they, however, they do have uh, uh, a crypto account. How, um, from my, I mean, basic understanding is you still need to have a bank account or something to connect in order to transfer your funds and and purchasing cryptos. Uh, is there any way around it that people not necessarily need to have a bank account in order to have a, uh, a I guess, a crypto decentralized uh, account? Yeah, can you imagine? Wow, how? Just think about this, right? How 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 was the how did the first one hundred people get Bitcoin? They they had bank accounts, but how did they? But there was there was no infrastructure to buy Bitcoin using a bank account, right? So, I don't. And there are countries in this world that that uh, of largely the populations are underbanked or unbanked. Right? There's many ways you can acquire uh, digital assets, including. Uh, paying cash, right? So, so I don't think having a bank account account is a hard requirement 
for uh, owning digital assets. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the design of digital assets is so that you don't need a bank account. Though having an on-ramp such as a bank account or credit card strictly makes it really, really easy for you to purchase uh, crypto and, and rightfully so. That's why Coinbase is one of the most, uh, one of the biggest um, um, uh, exchange out there, right? Because they give you a really nice on-ramp. Does that answer a little bit of your question, Z? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Awesome. I'm done. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Me too. Jason, how are we doing, man? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.